0: From Miami Law, I'm Annette Ugez, and this is The Explainer.
1: And what we've seen, and there were two cases I wanted to talk to you about in particular, uh, are what I view as attacks on jurors and attacks on juries, In a way that feels very different to me Mm -hmm. than the critiques of, well, this justice is, you know, a federalist society or a, you know, liberal or whatever. Jurors are supposed to be everyday people bringing everyday common sense into the jury box.
0: Welcome to Season 10 of the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. On today's show, Scott Sunby, the Josephsburg Chair in Criminal Justice Advocacy, takes on the increasing meddling by politicians in jury sentencing. Let's go to Catherine Skip with the interview. Good morning, Scott. Thanks for being here. My
1: pleasure, Catherine. Good to see you again.
2: So what's going on in the jury box these days?
1: So I wanted to talk to you today because it feels like something special, and I put that in air quotes, is happening that's worth flagging. Um, I was going to say it was a canary in the coal mine, but we've had so many dead canaries over the last uh, (laughs) eight years that I'm not sure another dead canary matters. But It really does feel like something is shifting in a very bad way in uh, the attacks on uh, the justice system. So we've gotten used to attacks on judges based on it's an Obama judge or now a Trump judge. And uh, certainly the Supreme Court has put the politicization of judges very much in front and center. And to be honest, I'm not sure that's all bad. And that's a separate podcast. But, um, you know, if we are going to pull back the curtain, uh, judges are something which we should recognize that, you know, political viewpoints, worldviews are really going to influence how they decide the law. There's now all of these attacks on uh, prosecutors. Uh, Generally, the Soros-funded progressive prosecutors is, is viewed as a very pejorative Uh, label. Um, There are also, uh, uh, I I always think, well, is not the opposite of progressive regressive? So regressive (laughs) prosecutors, right? Uh, Not just conservative, but regressive. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, there's legitimate critiques that can be put to a prosecutor who is perhaps pursuing election fraud against someone who didn't realize that uh, he or she was registering illegally. And I view those as worrisome because if we lose confidence in judges and we lose confidence in prosecutors, um, you know, we do start to lose confidence, right, in the criminal justice system. Um, But they are also, to me, legitimate discourses. And if I want to be a judge or I want to be a prosecutor, I better be prepared for actually, you know, being in the center of public attention. Mm -hmm. Juries are something different, though, aren't they? Um, They are civic duty. Right? We want individuals to basically walk in off the street right, with their jury summons, and we want them to see their service as a jury as fundamental to a democracy. There's a famous quote, probably over romanticizes it, but that uh, juries are the lamp that shows freedom lives. Mm-hmm. You know, that's overblown. Love that. But but it is. And to, and to Tocqueville, right, one of the things he heralded about America when he was, you know, touring America was the jury system that, mm-hmm. you know, everyday people instead of if you will, you know, selected elites are bringing this community judgment. And what we've seen and there were two cases I wanted to talk to you about in particular Uh, are what I view as a tax on jurors and a tax on juries in a way that feels very different to me Mm -hmm. than the critiques of, well, this justice is, you know, a federalist society or a, you know, liberal or whatever. Jurors are supposed to be everyday people bringing everyday common sense into the jury box. And if we start to demonize them, I think we're really in danger. Um, And so the first case, if I can go on. Yes,
2: of course. Please do.
1: (laughs) Do I have the microphone? Yeah. Um, The first case is the uh, Parkland shooting case, Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, death penalty trial of Nicholas Cruz. And uh, as you probably recall, I believe the best we can tell is a 9-3 verdict, nine votes for death, three votes for life. Keep in mind. He's going to serve life without parole. But because it needed to be a unanimous jury, those three votes for life meant that he was going to get a life sentence. And this immediately provoked within the legislature and the governor's uh, mansion a backlash. Right. And that didn't surprise me. But what really disturbed me was all of a sudden there was conversation about these activist jurors who were getting life sentences, these woke jurors who are getting life sentences. And I'm like, these are people who gave months of their life to sit there and watch. And I've seen some of the videos. I mean, videos which they will have nightmares until the day they die. Mm and to tell them that to bring their best judgment to this decision, we are now going to openly attack you. The assumption is they got it wrong. And and here's here's the irony of that, uh, Catherine, is the way the death penalty decision is phrased is as a moral judgment. So this isn't, did the car go through the red light? Mm -hmm. And I'll talk about that case in a minute. This is, given these values of mercy, Given these values of retribution and deterrence, which might argue for a death sentence, having listened to the victims' survivors, which was incredibly emotional and heart wrenching, having listened to how Nicholas Cruz grew up and that he suffered from you know things like fetal alcohol syndrome, what on balance is your best moral judgment mm-hmm. as to whether he deserves to live or die? And so for you know, Governor DeSantis to say, oh, you know, the jury got it wrong. It's like, who in the world are you to decide? First of all, I'm very confident he didn't listen to every minute of that trial. Mm -hmm. And he how how dare he in some ways say that a community collective judgment, he has the power to decide that they're wrong. Mm -hmm. Now, I have sympathy for the parents, many of whom say, yes, the jury got it wrong. But we're not the Taliban, right? We don't simply say, "Well, let the victims and the victim survivors decide." We say there's a societal stake here, and so to tell a jury that they got it wrong for the death penalty is very much like telling someone, "Ah, you know, your religion is wrong. Oh, you're de- you're in love with that person. Oh my God, that's wrong." I mean, these are emotional, moral. It's type of decisions. Mm-hmm. and 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 so it's just it's wrong, if you will, to tell juries that they got it wrong in the situation. um and 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 I'm particularly troubled by, of course, the solution uh, which the Florida legislature is coming up with, which is, oh, what <laughs> we lost if we played by a unanimity unanimity rule. So let's make it eight four. And I know you've had a prior pro- podcast on this, and maybe this uh, came up during it. But that's going back to the Jim Crow playbook. Mm -hmm. We had non-unanimous juries in states like Louisiana and Oregon, which it sounds weird with Oregon, but this is pre-gourmet coffee shops and all and Nirvana. This is, you know, back in the 20s or whatever, where it was very much a white supremacist movement. Mm -hmm. And the idea was, oh, my God, blacks are going to be serving on the jury. You know, we can't trust blacks. And so we're going to have a non-unanimous jury. And there's a deep irony, I think, that this current U.S. Supreme Court just recently said, oh, my God, that violates basic tenets of the founders and the U.S. Constitution. So you can't have non-unanimous juries for guilt decisions anymore. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what they're doing is they're charting back to a system which deliberately is meant to marginalize voices which they view as disagreeing with them, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, you got it wrong. Well, there may be one. Okay, let's make it two. Well, three. Oh, oh, gosh, there might be four people who get it wrong in the sense that I think they got it wrong. So let's marginalize them. And who does that tend to be, Catherine? It tends to be minorities. It tends to be women. And there's very interesting empirical work on how already, even with unanimous jury requirements, where a single juror can hang a jury or, or lead to a life sentence. That they have trouble voicing their opinions, but now it's going to be, well, don't worry about voicing your opinion because we're going to completely marginalize you. Right. Your, your 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 voice does not matter, right? Because even though you might be a third of the jury, we know better rather than having to sit through and listen to all the evidence and let you bring your best judgment. And, you know, I, I know that you are of my generation, so you'll remember 12 Angry Men with Henry Farnham. Uh, You probably remember Norman Rockwell, right, who illustrated Americana for the Saturday Evening Post. 12 Angry Men celebrates the holdout. There is, and I have in front of me, and you, of course, cannot see it out there in radio land, (laughs) but I actually have a Saturday Evening Post cover that Norman Rockwell drew called The Holdout. And it's a young woman, only woman in the jury room. And she's sitting there with her arms crossed as 11 angry men are surrounding her trying to browbeat her. And it's celebrating. It's clear she's not going to give in. Mm -hmm. And, and, And the idea is, oh, my God, this is America, right? This is, you know, we celebrate the person who will stand up to the majority and say, I think there's something wrong here. And so to say, oh, (laughs) <laughs> You're a holdout, or you disagree with the majority of jurors. There's something wrong with you, and we're going to dox you, and we're going to dox you. I mean, we are going to shame you. Yeah, I mean, I just find that offensive on so many levels. And and I, I should probably say, and I know you know this, Catherine, that you know my career has been based on interviewing jurors. I've interviewed jurors off of 200 different death penalty cases now, about half of which came back death, about half which came back life. Mm-hmm. And people ask, well, what did that do for your view of the jury system? And what it did is it confirmed for me that we are asking a tremendous amount of everyday people to come in and give often months of their lives. And that by and large, they, well, not by and large, they, I I really have not interviewed off a case where I'm like, oh boy, that jury had it in and disobeyed the law. They just did whatever they wanted. It really is good faith efforts. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, is uh, is the jury system occasionally flawed? Absolutely. It's a human institution. And we know through DNA exonerations, they do get it wrong. Uh, There are undoubtedly cases where they've acquitted people where perhaps that person would be guilty. But. To all of a sudden say it's different to me to say can juries get it wrong because lots of times those things can be fixed right if we give better information to juries uh, we make sure prosecutors give all the exculpatory evidence right we can improve we make sure that juries are drawn from all segments of society we can improve upon it what worries me about these latest attacks are that they they go to the good faith motives of the jurors to call a juror activist. Or to say that they're woke, whatever the, that means, um, that just really it, it undermines it. It's like, why are you going to burn down everything? Are we going to turn this into a Hunger Games justice right. system, right? Where it's like, you know, well, you've got your jurors now, I've got mine, and mm-hmm. let's let them go at it. Right. Um, it just really it, it worries me, mm-hmm. and and my hair is already sufficiently gray. I'm not sure it can get any grayer, right. but it really worries me. Yeah. And
2: and and the second. The second case that I I, wait before we go on, I have a quick question about I I feel I could be completely wrong, but the the death penalty jury is already a little skewered to not allow certain segments of the population to sit on those juries. Is that right? That is correct.
1: And, and, and yeah, I didn't know how deep you wanted to go there, but that's exactly right. You can only serve on the jury if you are capable of imposing a death sentence. And so we already are eliminating, and it is very disproportionately women and minorities, uh, potential jurors, because those segments of the population are more likely to say that, no, I just could never impose the death sentence. Um, I will say on the other end of the spectrum, we do uh, uh, strike jurors who say, I would always oppose the death penalty, mm-hmm. right, if someone killed another person. You have to be open to the idea uh, of mitigation, which is a, a way of saying you have to be open to the idea that uh, not all murders deserve the death penalty, that mercy is a value. Especially when you hear about you know horrific childhoods um you know drug problems and all uh, the type of uh factors which will move jurors right. to say this is not the worst of the worst right,
2: right? so you know. and one other question along those lines um so as far alone in now trying to impose death penalty uh, punishment on non murder crimes, like. For the rape of a child, that's going to be a death penalty case?
1: It it is. It is not alone. And some other jurisdictions have it. Now, at the moment, the presumption is that that's unconstitutional. There's a Supreme Court opinion from a few years back um, where the Supreme Court said you could not have the uh, death penalty for the rape of a child where the child survives. And presumably that is still good law. Um, Justice Kennedy actually wrote it. Uh, who, of course, is no longer on the court, and and uh, we have a very different court, which is uh, clearly uh, very activist in the sense of if we want to use that word, uh, going back and saying, "Well, we don't like this, we don't like that, we disagree with this," and changing the law. So, I don't know what would happen with that, but there are other states that have tried, and usually their state's uh, supreme court say, "Well, wait a minute, you can't do this under the federal constitution." Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, things such as uh, kingpin, drug kingpins, uh, rape of the child. Uh, so it, it, it puts them a little bit out there for death penalty states. I, I also will note if we're talking about what's the direction, you know, there are a number of states like Virginia, which have abolished the death penalty. I mean, so Florida is moving very much in a different direction if we want to get Tapping. Florida specific. Right. Um, and, um, you know, the, the trend has been to uh, abolish the death penalty. Uh, not expand it, let alone make it easier to impose. Right. Um, in, in and
2: While we say, yeah, we don't need gun reform. Let's put more <laughs> guns out there and let's not let no abortion. Um so shall so we move on to Texas governor Greg yeah. Abbott?
1: So this is when I'm like, I need to talk to Catherine. <laughs> I was already upset, right? Yeah. Um but this is now even taking it further, right? Uh, So this is the case where uh, an army sergeant, I believe, drove his car into a group of Black Lives Matters uh, demonstrators after the George Floyd uh, uh, killing. And uh, then he says someone pointed a gun at him. It's an open carry state, by the way. Uh, And there's no doubt that the person who was killed had a gun. But um, he said the, the defendant said, oh, he pointed a gun at me. And so I stood my ground and I shot. There were a number of witnesses who said, no, he didn't point the gun and that, in fact, you know, the sergeant was there. And we have text messages from the sergeant indicating he was going out. He told a friend, you know, I may have to kill some people on my way to work. So there is disputed evidence. So how traditionally in a system that trusts is citizenry. That uses juries as the collective decision maker as to what happened in a situation uh, where a crime is charged. Uh, We turned to the jury and uh, the jury uh, convicted. And immediately, um, you know, as I understand it, Tucker Carlson got on and said, oh, my God, this is an outrage. This is an activist jury. How dare they Uh, you know, do this, you know, Abbott's sitting around on his hands and, you know, he should do something. And, and Governor Abbott then immediately was like, I want to pardon him. Right. You know, and, and again, I just, the idea that the head of a state of a system that has existed for hundreds of years, which is the lamp that shows freedom lives is now being demonized. He said, oh, these progressive prosecutors and juries that nullify the law, when in fact they are carrying out the law. Again, it, 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 it is an attack that threatens to burn down the system. And I'll tell you, I don't know what replaces it. I mean, this is it, it creates a vacuum, a void. And I think there's real dangers where vacuums and voids are created. And, and again, to stress, you know, I, I'm more mixed on attacks on judges and prosecutors based on their uh, political views. Um, done correctly, I, I think that actually is more of a realistic view of the judicial system. What bothers me is when a school teacher shows up for a jury summons or a truck driver. Or uh, a homemaker, right? And and they're doing their best, and all of a sudden they're being told that they are an activist, woke juror, and that they should be ashamed, and that Fox News is going to take them to task. I mean, again, you know, I'm I'm clearly quite angry about this because I want to say, how dare these people Mm -hmm. do that? It is as un-American if we're going to use that terminology as i can imagine to attack such a basic american institution and it's it's part and parcel of attacking the election workers the people who take your ballot i guess right. now when i hand my ballot in i'm supposed to look at the person and say you know are you going to go shred this what's going on right or uh school teachers um you know i should tell you my mom was an uh, elementary school teacher mm-hmm. so you know i understandably revere <laughs> elementary <laughs> school teachers but you know, the idea that they are in classrooms and doc, it, it's it's tearing down the public education system. I mean, I, I don't really know what is going on. But, you know, I at least am not going to sit down by and watch these attacks on the jury. Truly one of the fundamental building blocks of our democracy go on. And and again, I just want to make clear, Catherine, that I don't view juries as infallible. There are many things if I were czar, and maybe that's what fills the void, right? Oh, Scott, you'd be czar. Okay, well, okay, maybe burn
2: it, burn it, right? Right. But but
1: assuming that, right? um, There are many reforms that could improve the jury system. I'm not sitting here with rose colored glasses. Mm -hmm. But what really bothers me is the effort to undermine the idea that these jurors are acting in good faith. Because I will tell you my overwhelming experience has been that jurors act in good faith mm-hmm. that they really are the citizens coming to do their civic duty right and we should honor that we should not disparage it
2: do you feel like we're on the pendulum and it's swung really far one way i think jessica owley professor owley always gives me hope that the next generation will you know bring it back people like david hogg from parkland yeah. you know and and i know one of his uh Fellow students was elected to Congress. That that it will swing back. That all is changes coming. Yeah.
1: Um, And 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 like I said, you know, it may not. Some of this is not all bad. I think. um, I don't know if anybody uh, beyond our generation remembers the Wizard of Oz and the pulling back of the curtain, and and it turns out the Wizard is not a wizard, right? Um, I think some of that is good, Mm -hmm. and I think some of that not. For necessarily good motives, but has happened, uh, especially with you know uh, judicial uh, appointments and elections, right? And and there, I think we actually might come out stronger with an understanding. Um, what worries me, and and uh, you know where I try to remain optimistic, but um, I'm not sure if you undermine basic belief in good faith of our fellow citizens um i don't know how that bounces back now it has before we had a civil war right and you know to to and and i've lived in countries like spain and uh argentina where they very much had civil wars right and 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 they have bounced back but it's generations yeah um and 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 so i worry that if people lose faith uh it's hard to bounce back and if people become distrustful of each other, if I can no longer hand my ballot over to that election worker right. or send my kids to elementary school without saying, now, don't be indoctrinated, Johnny. Right. Um, you know, I, I. Those are basic American institutions, the public education system and juries. Right. And and I could, you know, election, you know, the local election boards. I mean. If we don't cherish those, I think it becomes harder. So. Have I given up hope? No, no. Do I worry? Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Anything in closing or have we just put the doomsday on everything <laughs> well, already? I
1: don't, so one reason I'm here, I guess maybe this is my optimism, that if we speak out and, and, you know, I very work very hard in the classroom not to. And again, you know, I'm sure like, Judges, I am not entirely successful in keeping my own views from, from filtering through. But I really work hard. And, you know, I've been a prosecutor. I've been a defense attorney. I've worked on both sides. I've been a researcher. Um, so I, I, I know I have to constantly work to have an objective view. Um, and I think sometimes that that maybe keeps me from speaking out on issues. And I wonder if I should be. Which means that if I'm in here <laughs> having my rant with Catherine,
2: banging your shoe on right, the table, right,
1: <laughs> that um, I really am worried. Right. And and so it, it, I won't go so far as to say doomsday, but I will say that, you know, listen, we got a lot of dead canaries. I get it. But this is a really big whopping canary that we ought to pay attention to.
2: OK, well, congratulations on your recent Chair of Criminal Justice Advocacy. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Thanks for coming in.
1: My pleasure, Catherine, as always. Take care now. All right. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for joining us for The Explainer and a whole new season of Explaining. If you enjoy our show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Ugez. Today's show is sponsored by the upcoming 32nd Annual Bankruptcy Skills Workshop on Friday, June 9th, virtually or on the Coral Gables campus. The workshop provides a unique look into navigating consumer bankruptcies in the United States Bankruptcy Court for the Southern District of Florida. For more information, visit law.miami.edu.